Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Female Footballers Podcast. My name is Cassie Gray. I am your host. And today I am thrilled. We have two guests on that were here a few weeks ago, and we had a great conversation, and we are bringing you another great conversation all about the Raina Berhalter issue with parents. Um, please welcome Meredith Rooney of Rooney Player Development and Rachel Wood of Summit Soccer Academy. Please check out both of those organizations as they are providing some awesome, like just incredible skill development for players in the areas of both um, on the East Coast. So go ahead and say hi, ladies. Hello. Hey. <laughs> um, you guys want to plug your, your companies real quick and, and let everyone know what you do real fast, Meredith? Sure. Uh, I um, am a former like uh, youth club coach um, and ECNL director uh, or technical director. Um, and I now just work with clients who have goals either individually in small group or in large group training. Um, and I also do college consulting and mentorship as well. Yeah, and I do, um, this is Rachel from Summit Soccer and I do something similar. I'm a former um, collegiate player and professional player. And I started Summit Soccer Academy doing um, private and small group training and have now branched out into doing um, a lot of um, mental performance work, um, game film review, self-confidence building, um, self-empowerment, and uh, college recruiting help. Awesome. Thank you. I want to make sure everybody knows where you guys are at, what you're doing, and um, checks it out. So we are really excited. We're going to talk and like we did last time, we had um, Rachel and Meredith on a couple of weeks ago talking about systemic abuse in youth soccer. And a lot of you listened and um, we had some really um, real conversation around it. And that's the goal of this podcast is to be as real as possible. And um, so we want to have a real conversation about parents, the good, the bad, bad and the ugly of um, what we're seeing. And a recent incident that occurred in U.S. soccer um, kind of was like a huge metaphor for the good, the bad, and the ugly when it comes to parenting and soccer. Um, so if you haven't heard, um, the, the World Cup, the Men's World Cup was happening in November and December of 2022, just a couple months ago. And a very famous family uh, has a player on that team. His name is Gio Reyna. Gio, um, he did not get the playing time that he'd hoped for in the World Cup. He was told that he wasn't gonna have the amount of playing time that he'd hoped for, and he didn't take it very well. Um, and he kind of struggled with that within the locker room and the confines of the team. And then after the World Cup, the coach, Greg Berhalter, ended up kind of referencing some players that did not get the time they thought they were in a meeting. and he didn't name names, but that ended up kind of causing some backlash and, and Gio basically came forward on his Instagram and kind of came clean with that it was him. And that also spurred a, a larger issue with the Reyna family. If you're not familiar, Gio's dad is Claudia Reyna and um, he was a former national team player as well, pro player and current um, administrative member of Austin FC. Um, so it, it just started to get really messy. And um, there's a lot of details. Uh, and we will link in our social platforms when this podcast episode comes out, the um, ESPN article where it kind of details a lot of details about it. But without me talking the whole time, 
Meredith and Rachel, why don't you guys add to some of the details you think are important within this conversation? Because I know I just gave a very skeletal outline of what happened. So go ahead. Yeah, I think one of the important things to note here too is how close the two families are um, and how heavily involved they've been in the soccer community for so long. Um, the moms of the families played together at my alma mater, UNC, um, and Greg and Claudio have known each other for you know quite some time. And I think that that's important just because it speaks to sort of the boundarylessness of soccer both in the youth level all the way up through u.s soccer and the national team level um there's a very incestuous culture um in soccer in america uh you know we see we've seen this in the nwsl you know uh players dating coaches players dating owners um you know families who you know marry and then are super close and then still continue to work in the soccer world. So I think in this instance, there were a lot of blurred lines between personal and professional that created ultimately um, a big mess. I agree. And I think it's it's exactly what's happening in club soccer. Like there there is no difference. It's, you know, parents who played soccer with a DOC or maybe they looked up to that DOC or whatever it is. And there's, there's too much, um, you know, buddy, buddy going on and lack of professionalism in youth soccer, which in, in turn makes it extremely unsafe. Um, and you can see like, if it's happening at that level, if that's what it's like at that level, then like there's no chance at youth soccer for it to be the way it's supposed to be. Um, and one of the things that I love is when people talk about, and like, this is, probably what I'll start bringing up is this incidence is like when people talk about that, you know, U.S. soccer has to look into stuff like U.S. soccer is part of the problem. Like the call is coming from inside the house. And then what this has done is highlighted like how incestuous it is. And when I, I've said a lot that like a diverse staff is a safe staff. And that doesn't just mean culturally. That means like people from different countries, people from different playing backgrounds, people that haven't known each other since they were 14 years old, because that does over time, like you can, it, it can become dangerous. And there's, there's things that get overseen and there aren't as many checks and balances because people are just scratching backs and helping each other out. Um, and things aren't done on merit. So it's like, you know, if it's happening at that level, it's kind of, you understand why you see it at the youth level as well. Well, and I think the normalization of it too. Um, it's something that we've seen happen for so long and no one has ever called it out. Um, you know, and and I was guilty of thinking that it was normal as well for a really long time until, you know, I sort of stepped back and away from the sport and saw how toxic and how not okay a lot of this behavior is. So we, yeah, and we, so we kind of gave you a skeletal view of like this scenario, assuming you knew, just in case you didn't know, not only did Gio not get time and Greg referenced a player not getting time in a, in a, a meeting, um, a media type of meeting so that it went public, but then the mom of Gio, her name is Danielle Reyna, and the dad of Gio, Claudia Reyna, they actually, during the World Cup, were frustrated about the scenario that their son wasn't getting playing time. And they went to the heads of US soccer within the boxes during these games, you know, the, the boxes that they're watching the games being played at in Qatar. And Danielle mentioned to Ernie Stewart and Brian McBride um, 
you know, how disappointed she was as a parent uh, that her son wasn't getting playing time, especially since although he might have made the mistake of not handling that well, she knew Greg, the coach, when he was that age and he didn't handle himself well and included an incident that happened, you know, in 1991 where Greg kicked his wife when they were dating. And so just to give you that background, um, in case you weren't um, aware, this is why you need to probably read some articles on this that we'll link before you listen to this podcast episode. So now that makes a little bit more sense about what Meredith and Rachel were saying about the incestuousness of knowing um, the people within the soccer world for a very long time. The Reynas and the Berhalters have been friends for many, many, many years. Claudio being in Greg's wedding, their kids being similar ages, the two moms having played collegiate soccer together at UNC. It's just very incestuous. And then two, that U.S. soccer Danielle thought she was talking to what she considers friends in Ernie Stewart and Brandon Fried. And to Meredith's point, that's there's a lack of professionalism there when it's your friend and it's also the heads of U.S. soccer. So there are so many, so many things to unpack. And I want to kind of organize this for everybody. So we thought, you know, that's the skeletal view of, of the situation. We started to touch on some of the themes that are really frustrating within this this whole concept. Um, let's talk about first, because we're going to break it down by a couple different themes. Let's first talk about the snowplow parent culture in America in general, soccer or not soccer. Um, I know as a teacher and, and a parent myself, I have been guilty in moments of snowplow parenting. Um, not so much guilty, maybe more a little helicopter parenting. Um, but I, I see it on a daily basis. What are your guys' thoughts about snowplow parent culture? Meredith, you want to start with this one? Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely felt like I, I saw it um, and I do see it. Um, I also, though, think that because of the way like I function as a coach and I'm like super transparent and I am very, very honest. And if you want to have a conversation with me, it's going to be very, very honest. I think that's cut a lot of that back. But I also think my age has cut that back where um when I was younger I had parents constantly trying to snowplow me all the time and it's like you get this privilege at 40 and near 40 where they're not doing that as much because you're their contemporary um but I do think it's an issue I think it's a, an emotional immaturity I think I've, I've seen as long as I have coached parents or as long as I played too I'm sure Rachel would see the same is parents living through their kids and then um like using <clears throat> they're trying to use you know this snow plowing to create more opportunities for their kid and it works sometimes um i mean the issue is when it comes down to is you have to be good enough so at some point it doesn't um but at the you know youth soccer when everything's really just about money um you know what i mean you you can snow plow and you can do those things and i i definitely had to learn very early on, like what you were saying, Cassie, like I had to teach myself this lesson um, was that if they're doing it to me as a coach, they're almost almost definitely doing it to their teachers. They're almost always doing it to somebody else. Like it's, it's, it's a personality trait, it's not me. Um, and as you get older and with what I'm doing, like I'm way more choosy about the kind of person that I'm working with. So if they show those behaviors, I don't work with them anymore, but younger coaches might not feel like they can do that. 
um, and it becomes a little bit dicey. And because, you know, maybe the club as a whole is not acting professional, they don't even know how to set the boundary because nobody else is. But I definitely see, I've seen it and I've seen it get a little worse, but I've also seen um, a need to protect kids and not understanding where the line is because the clubs are predatory. So, you know, it's, it's a mix. I think it's like a cauldron of things, but I, I do think there's snowplow parent exists. And I think they exist in everything. Like they're doing that to you. Like if you're a young coach listening, like if you have a parent like that on your team, like they're doing that everywhere. It's not just to you. Um, and you have to learn how to manage it. And it's not the kid's fault. Um, if they're parents like that, I try to never take it out on the kid. Um, but they make it difficult, I think, you know, and especially if you're younger and you're not as mature. Um, but you have to set really hard boundaries. But yeah, I, I, I see it. Um, I think what really bothered me about this whole thing too was that they knew this information and only used it when it benefited them. And I see that in youth soccer is that they know the coaches are abusing the kids verbally or whatever it is, and they don't say anything about it until they need something. And, and that, that's just as wrong, you know, so. Yeah. Um, and that kind of segues right into my point about uh, the snowplow parent and how, you know, uh, being a new parent myself, um, I think that, you know, all of these parents are coming from a place of good of wanting to protect their child and wanting to help their child succeed, but don't understand the boundaries or the detriment that their actions have, not just on their child, but on everyone around them. And it's really interesting because it's made me think this whole situation has made me think a lot about ego and the adult ego that is so, um, prevalent in youth sports. And it's interesting. My husband and I had a, had a situation last night where, you know, we couldn't get the baby to calm down. And one of us did, and one of us didn't, and we take it personally. And it's like, it has, you know, at that point, right. The ego has nothing to, it, it has nothing to do with us, but we take it personally. And I see that constantly in soccer parents and parents trying to protect their kids, where if their kid isn't the starter, isn't the, you know, the best on the team, then how can they do something in order to make that possible to make themselves feel better? And I think because of our, you know, our hyper competitive culture, um, and this is a lot of things that we don't get taught as young adults growing up, right? We don't get taught how to sort of check our ego and do things for the greater good and, you know, and teamwork and to help each other out. And so it becomes hyper competitive and that ego is kind of driving it. And we all need to kind of take a step back and be like, okay, what's most beneficial for the kid. And I don't think we do that. And that's hard work. And, you know, I've I've had a lot of therapy in my life um, and it's benefited me greatly, but to turn the mirror back on yourself and to see, okay, am I doing this because this is benefiting my child or because I have this need inside of me to see my child succeed instead of just seeing them happy. Um, And I think that's work that we in America teach as, you know, that's weak, right? We need to be, we need to be strong. We need to be dominant and, you know, we need to do things to help our kids get ahead. Um, And I think that that's really at the crux of it is this hyper-competitive environment and, we constantly feel less than if our child isn't, you know, the best or, or getting ahead. So I think that that's really where it comes in and we're not teaching these skills, you know, to kids in school. And it's obviously a much broader issue than, than just this, but, you know, we don't have that, that emotional intelligence. I a hundred percent agree. And I think this, this incident with the Rainas and Berhalters is the perfect example of a snow plant, a snowplow parent 
who wants to fix everything for her kid and, and ends up doing the opposite and ruining her son's chances probably in his future with soccer. And I see it every day in teaching. Um, we have parents who want to solve all the problems and then they're frustrated that their kid has no executive functioning skills and they don't because they're doing everything for them and they're solving everything for them. And they're doing it, like you said, because of their own ego, because their self-worth is attached to their children's um, success. And it's just really sad. And especially in soccer, because most of the parents now used to play, whereas maybe when we played, our parents didn't. And I think that's a huge part of it. So snowplow is number one as one of the themes. The other theme, I think you guys, there's a couple of them, but one of the other ones that you guys already touched on, we might as well jump over and get into is the reason that the snowplow parent kind of exists in youth soccer, especially, is like you said, Meredith, this the systemic issues that happen with youth soccer in our last podcast of abuse and a lot of the lack of professionalism is causing parents to need to take the um, the reins a little bit. And I think that's why there's this, you know, hyper focus on trying to fix everything for their kid because they're so worried that their kid is going to get taken advantage of or abused. And as a parent, I truly do understand that. So when I said I was guilty, um, I had those moments, my own son in the fall, you know, he was moved out of position. He wasn't getting a lot of playing time. I didn't say anything to the coach. I empowered my kid to have the conversation. He had the conversation. The coach was not kind to him. He didn't get playing time the rest of the season very much. And I still, I just had to sit there and, and my mama bear um, feelings of like wanting to solve the problem and fix it for him were, were huge. It, it took a lot of self-awareness and restraint to not do that. But the way the coach acted was not okay. And he wasn't professional and still isn't at times. And so that can be really hard for you as a parent. So I, I've seen and felt that from the parent perspective too. But what are your guys' thoughts on that? Yeah, no, I I used to say at uh, the last club I was at is like, especially when you're at like an ECNL club, you're getting kids that are coming, a lot of kids that are coming in from other clubs. So you're like, you know, I, I tend to kind of analyze people. I like groups of people. So you're getting like all these different kids from all these different clubs. You can actually take in a lot of information for like what's going on out there um, when they come in and their parents come in. And I kept calling it like soccer trauma. Like these, these parents and these kids had like, had soccer trauma, whether it was like the kids on the field, like looking at you, like waiting to be like coached or screamed at, or they're being, their egos are being fed so much that they can only try to dribble past 10 kids. And their parents are into that too, because the trainer's feeding their ego. And it's like, it becomes like, you, you see what's going, like what's going on out there. It's like, it's so they're getting taken advantage of their, their bank accounts are just being taken advantage of like left and right. Um, and their kids are being like screamed at and abused or messed with, or like, even if you're not screaming at a kid, if you're messing with their head, that is emotional abuse. You don't have to scream at a kid um, <laughs> for that to happen. So like these things are real. So I would see parents come in and, and what I noticed is if they really truly are like good people is that over time with me just being like transparent and honest and good to their kid that went away and we were fine. You know what I mean? And it was like, we would be okay. But what I would see though, is that if the new coach was just as bad or worse that it was like, you know what I mean? It just create, it would start creating a monster, but then you also do have these, you know, I call stage parents. There's no difference to me if they're actors or if they're soccer players, the parents treat the kid the same exact way. And it's really detrimental to them. 
So I think it's like really important if you care as a coach or if as a parent, you are different. It's like differentiate the difference between like, there's a difference between advocating for your kid and like being a problem or, or, or like trying to take advantage of a situation or create an opportunity that's not there. Those aren't the same things, you know, advocating for your kid. I, I think all three of us would say, absolutely, please do that. I say that all the time. And I tell kids, just like you said, Cass, like advocate for themselves. It's really important to be like, go up to your coach and be like, but I've had that happen as an individual trainer, right? As you tell them to do that and they come back to you and they're like, well, my coach said, I'm fine. Gave them no feedback or then played them less because they had the audacity to like ask the question. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, it's like multi-layered, you know, there, there's, there's multi, but I think it's important to like figure out how to differentiate the difference between like the stage parent and the parent that has soccer trauma, mm -hmm. you know, and, and, and they can start off with the same thing. But like I said, if you as a coach are like doing the right thing and are transparent or emotionally intelligent, like you tend to have a lot less of those problems and it's easier to kind of identify who the snowplow parent is. Um, and they end up isolating themselves. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think the difference you know, for, for parents, and maybe this is a good rule of thumb for parents is, is this, you know, when it comes to the soccer piece or something constructive, even if it's critical, right. From the coach, that's when you need to let your child advocate for themselves. When it becomes an issue of a personal attack on the child, that's when parents need to step in and protect their kids. So I think that that can kind of be a good, rule of thumb of, okay, is this something that I need to let my child handle? Or is this something that I now need to step in because his or her behavior toward my kid is now getting personal and that's not okay. We've stepped outside of the line of soccer and we're now getting into personal and we won't stand for that. And I think that that's kind of a good differentiation of, well, shoot, when do I step in and when do I not? Is it personal or is it, is it personal or professional really? I, I mean, with, with my son, I had that moment of like, what, why am I upset by this? And I had to kind of come to the conclusion of if my son is now not loving soccer, and I hear a lot, I hear this from a lot of parents, like the coach killed my kid's spirit and, and not wanting to play. And I, I see that, but I also had that moment too, where I had to go, well, if it's going to take one person yelling at my kid and now he hates soccer, that's my job as a parent to really navigate. Maybe my kid doesn't love the sport enough to continue because if he's going to get done with something when he gets pushed one time then his love is not as deep as it needs to be to go that far in this sport and maybe this isn't the sport for him and that was a really hard thing having been a collegiate player for myself and my husband having been a professional player but we had to have that moment in those talks together it was like the ultimate goal is is not playing in college it's what do you love to do and what do you want to do and we'll support you no matter what and if if this isn't it, then then it's not it, and that's okay. And I think a lot of parents are afraid to have that conversation and afraid to look at it that way because of, like we said earlier, their, their ego and what that means about the success of them as a parent and all of that. So totally. I mean, an, another theme that we've already also touched on is um, sort of the, the individualism, hyper-competitiveness focus that's attached to all of this and that cauldron, like you said, Meredith, um, is, you know, U.S. soccer as a part of this, it's very individualistic, and that is a part of the pay-to-play model. It's part of the, um, with now social media, the NIL, there's a lot of focus on the player themselves and not the team and how it plays a role in the team and how to encourage your child to be a 
part of a team and what their role is, um, and even as a coach. So what are your guys' thoughts on sort of that individualistic sort of um, entitlement feel of, of players and how parents play a role in that? Well, I, I will, I'll never blame kids, you know, like I work with kids, I, I always come from a place of like, that's a child, they're gonna, they, they're figuring it out, and they tend to absorb like whatever is going on around them. But I, I do think US soccer perpetuates that individualism and just kind of putting themselves ahead as the best and like, you know, our coaching badges are the best and like, you know, that's better than a UEFA, but like, you know, only national team players come from the DA and the GA, like, none of that's true and it's so detrimental to our development as like soccer players and as people um it's self-aggrandizing it's not helpful it 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 lays ground that is perfect soil for abuse um and people getting taken advantage of financially um and it doesn't have anything actually with like to do with like elitism and being the best that's what drives me nuts i think is that you know, as an athlete, I felt like if I did my best, I was seen as the best and I was rewarded for it. And then when I got into coaching, like that wasn't true anymore. It didn't matter if I was the best. It didn't matter at all. It mattered how much I did and how much money I made for other people and, you know, all those kind of things. And it's just overall, I, I think it's extremely like you, you can look at the men's national team. It, it just look at it. It's They have all the money, all the resources in the world. And they struggle against countries that don't have any of that. So it's just constant proof that what we're doing is not right and it doesn't work and it's just self-aggrandizing. Um, and, you know, it's, uh, it, it's like I said, it's just killing us, I think, as a soccer nation, you know, completely. You know, because we didn't invent soccer. Football, we got to invent it, make ourselves the best and then call ourselves world champions. Unfortunately for soccer, like, we can't do that sorry, it's silly to everyone else. And we look silly. Um, and this is highlighting that. And like I said, like it, it being an individual and a team, anything is like, you look silly and it's isolating. And it's just like, you know, it, it trickles down from the top. So it makes, if you're at the bottom, makes it really difficult to do things the right way when it's trick like the, that kind of attitude is trickling down from the top. Yeah. And I think too, you know, as soon as college scholarships started getting involved and, you know, it's like, there's the dangle of the like proverbial carrot with the college scholarship and there is no, I mean, it's a business, right? And again, it's, and I say this to my players all the time, it's who, you know, not how good you are. Um, and again, it, it, it's been so built up about, you know, who's going where, what school are you going to, did you get money? and we're focusing on the wrong things. And I think that that continues to breed this sense of entitlement of, you know, I got into this college and I'm going to play here when it should really be, okay, who, who are the best players? And then they, you know, you get recruited that way. Um, and then just obviously everything that Meredith just said. Well, yeah. And like when you were just saying, like, even the, the pressure that girls face now that we three of us didn't have when it comes to like getting highlighted on your club's social media platform for excelling through something or getting the scholarship or there's just so many things that have individualized even the club experience that we didn't have growing up and and even the college experience I've talked to girls at my alma mater just their frustrations or their um, heightened awareness of getting the the amount of social time they need 
to be seen by NWSL clubs if they want to go into the draft and, and things like that. It's just, it's crazy. And, and like when you were talking about the college scholarship, I can't tell you how many parents I talk to who that's the end all be all just to get the scholarship. And then they're, they're surprised when their daughter quits freshman year or sophomore year. And mm -hmm. I was one of 14 freshmen. We ended with four our senior year. Four of us made it through. 10 girls quit or had injuries or whatever it might be. But I think at least five of them quit freshman year because it was really all about, can I get to that level? And that level was just the status. It wasn't even about playing in college or beyond. And I think that's where it's it's really sad that the the focus is there. And um, I think I wonder with the Reina's Burhalters, all of that, if the pressure Geo must have had to follow in his dad's footsteps, to make it to the national team. And if in his mind, I got to the World Cup roster, that was the end all be all. And then, you know, the ego is so big because of who your family is, because you know the coach since you were born. Um, if you just get complacent in those moments and, uh, you know, it's just, it's like the status was bigger than the actual in integrity of, of wanting to make it to the a World Cup final or, or winning, you know, it's just, it's sad. Well, yeah, it's again, sad. The, la the lack of the right checks and balances at the highest level, like to make things run the way that they should, you know, it's like those kind of things are going to happen. Like we're going to keep, U.S. soccer is going to keep being like this as long as it keeps running the way that it is. And it's super incestuous and everybody knows each other and everybody's friends with each other and everybody played soccer with each other. And soccer is a small community, but unfortunately, we don't merit good coaching in this country because I don't think we actually know what it is. Um, so, you know, we just keep hiring the most professional person we know. Instead and that's of like on paper. The most professional person. <laughs> yeah, the most professional person there actually is to mm -hmm. find. Because in, it, it, this is a business at the youth level, the right, those kind of people like myself ask questions that they don't want asked of them. So it doesn't make sense. Um, but that's why like this, this just highlights how much of a mess everything is at the absolute highest level. I 100% agree with that. And I've had multiple conversations with different people. And every time we have the conversation about the Reina Berhalter situation, everybody wants to place blame on one of the people. And my argument every time is, it's everybody's fault. The whole everybody. damn thing. It is Berhalter's fault for saying Burn something it all in down. meeting. Yep. It is Gio's fault for losing his stuff and and being a you know having an ego and and not handling himself being a coachable player. It's the Reina's fault for saying anything about any of it. Like, you know, soccer has like always been toxic. They're like that toxic friend that you can't get rid of. They're always there, um, and it's just it's so incestuous. It can't be run properly, and and until it's not, and I feel like. When Jurgen was there, he was trying, and look what happened. He got absolutely whether you, however you feel about him, he was never gonna be welcomed or accepted, um, because we want to show how good, great we are. We're so great, and it's so hurtful um, to everybody involved. Like you said, like everybody messed up and everybody got hurt because of that, and it's gonna affect their lives and their careers as well. Well, and it's and I, so silly. Yeah, and I think one thing that we're missing too is that we don't look at the process or the development, right? Gia's 18 years old playing in his first world cup, right? So <clears throat> we, yes, it was a young team, but we as a society and as a culture don't look at, okay, he's 18 years old playing on the biggest stage, right? 
maybe this is his experience in which, you know, he's going to get some minutes, but not a ton. And this is going to build his experience for the 2026 World Cup. And in the 2026 World Cup, maybe he'll be a starter, you know, but he's 18 years old. And I know at 18, like, I mean, you're not, you're not a fully formed human, right? Your brain is still developing. You're still figuring things out. He's not the player that he's going to be. And again, it comes kind of back to that entitlement piece, at least from the outside looking in, right? Where they thought because they're such good friends with the Burhalters, my son's going to play because it's, it's personal instead of professional and Burhalter's trying to keep his job and, and, you know, make the U S sort of a credible team at this world cup. Um, and I just think we so often in the youth game, all the way up to the professionals, we, we miss we just completely overlook the process and the development and that it takes time. We just expect everyone to be able to do it before they're ready. And we don't, we don't coach or focus on that at all. And I think that that was significantly overlooked here as well. That actually was our last theme, which is that instant gratification kind of um, expect the high expectation of, of now, 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 and from all aspects, from the player to think he deserves it from the coach to think that they are qualified and capable with such a young group to the parents who, you know, it's it, the parent instant gratification with parents is, is huge. It's like, if your kid doesn't start a game, you freak out and you think like something's wrong. And it's like the pro, like you said, the process, maybe that's a better theme word for it is just absolutely. It's a long term thing. It's not overnight. It's not snap at your fingers. And it's so, frustrating to watch that like it, the, everybody expects it now you know I agree um but like I said before too I feel like uh, my my I, I love to develop players like I think everyone says that but like I I that's actually what wakes me up in the morning it is not winning a game I could care less to go to a tournament it's like watching a kid get better and I think what a lot of coaches like I've said before they lack emotional intelligence but they also lack any communication skills through the process and they don't want to talk to the parents because they don't have the actual I have no problem talking to a parent because I'm completely confident in what I'm doing so if they want to ask me a question sure no problem like this is what's going on like you might not hear what you want to but this is what's going on and the other thing is is that they see progress every kid on my team gets better because that is my goal so there isn't an argument at the end of it. You know what I mean? Their kid at the end of the season will get better or by the winner, they're going to get better. And I'm not treating them less favorite than somebody else. And I'm not doing a lot of those things. And it's crazy how many of those issues go away when you're emotionally mature as an adult in this situation and treating the kids like kids and talking to the adults like adults and asking the adults to talk to you like an adult if they want to be listened to um, and treating the kids really good. There, there's a lot less argument, like it still happens. Um, but yeah, I, I just think that coaches um, need to stop watching YouTube drills and Instagram drills and trying to look good or look cool and coach through their egos because that's what this keeps coming back to, right? As a parent, it's the adults having ego issues and the kids being extensions of that and go back to like, why do I coach? Like, that's what I talk to my college recruits about. Like, why do you play soccer? We start with that first. So when they talk to an adult, they know what they're talking to the college coach about. Like, who am I? Where do I want to go? It's the same thing for a coach. And if you start with like, I'm here to make the children, because they're children, not soccer players, the children better people and better players by the end of it, then like, you're going to have a good season. It's not, not about winning. I don't mean that. Like, you're going to, you're going to, it's going to be pretty okay for the most part. 
Um, but I think that there's, there's just so much emotional maturity that has to go on between the adults to fix all of us. Um, even like with Rachel said, with Gio, like it's, he's kind of the last person I'm thinking of because he's like still a child when it comes down to it. And like, of course he has ego. I'm sure I wouldn't be surprised who it might be, but he's 19. I, I did. And I wasn't, I wasn't even like him. I wasn't anything like him. Um, and then again, the adults ruined it for him. And you must, that must be so terrible for him though, too, to be like, I messed up. I was trying to take accountability and then everybody took it into, you know, a whole other place that's even more difficult to deal with. And like, how do you crawl out of that as a player? That's tough. Um, but I think again, what it boils down to is like, everyone needs to come from a different place and functioning from like, what is best for the kids and like, actually actually that and if we know what that is that requires self-awareness on the parent and coaches part at female footballers we you know all of our coursework our sessions that we do teams and individuals our basis for everything is self-awareness and then we move into self-regulation and I think it's really hard when you are teaching a kid to have self-awareness but the grown-ups around them don't have it it's got to have you know the perfect team is when a child a parent and a coach can all work together because they all have, they all have the, the goal of self-awareness and they're all working towards that emotional intelligence piece. And you do see that it is possible. I mean, I see it in teaching every day. I always say when I'm working with a student or I have a conference with a parent, it's we're both a team for this kid. We both need to self, you know, self-reflect on how we can be the best support for them and not just expect them to be you know, the end all be all, don't just expect it from me and not take accountability. Like the three of us have to be a team. And that means we have to self-reflect on how we can do that the best for the kid. And I just think there's, when it comes to parents, a lot of parents are placing blame elsewhere and not self-reflecting on their part and how they can be a better support. And that instant gratification piece is where they think ultimately me saying something or me going to the DOC, bypassing the coach, and fixing it for them is a support when really the long-term, that's not how we are our best supports for our kids. It's empowering them. It's asking questions. It's demanding better education. It's all of those things, you know, and that's not going to happen overnight. Yeah. And I mean, anyone who I've spoken with, um, you know, a lot of, a lot of my players, parents, they've heard me talk about, it. it's a three-pronged approach, right? We have to, yes, we're training the kids, but we also need to train the parents and the coaches, which comes back to, you know, more and better education, like we talked about on the last podcast. Um, but there isn't enough education or, you know, sort of, um, emotional intelligent teaching of the, of the adults, of the parents and the coaches. So like I work with the kids on it, but, you know, I see them for maybe one hour a week and then they go home and they're exposed to these other adults so much more of the time. And so that messaging isn't going to stick unless all of the adults are on the same page and we're not there right now. Totally. Absolutely. Well, this is a, I'm sure there'll be more that comes out on this story as time goes on. We tried to wait a couple of weeks to like really filter through a lot of articles that we read and other people have had, I know like Hope Solo had on Eric Winalda on his, on her podcast and they they talked all about, you know, the the reasons behind all of it. But at the end of the day, it's a really sad situation that basically is a metaphor for what's happening at the youth level and everywhere in U.S. soccer. And it just it's sad because it needs to change. And, um, you know, if there's more developments, I'm sure we'll pop back on and talk about it. Any last thoughts on this that you guys have? 
I think it's important to note that this just isn't an isolated incident. Um, and like you said, it's it's a metaphor. So yes, we're looking at this group of people because you know they are kind of in the world spotlight, but this happens all the time at clubs, at the youth level. And I think just understanding that, you know, this isn't a one-off unique situation in which, you know, it, it only happens at that level, like really becoming aware that this kind of thing happens all the time. And that we as a collective group of adults need to do better by the kids. Yeah, I agree. I was going to say do better. Um, Rachel just had better words for all of that. Um, but in general, I would say to all of the adults is do better. And I have a lot of patience and stuff for a young coach because like I'm an educator when it comes down to it. But I also always come back to certain things and be like, I taught myself as a coach, um, a younger coach, I didn't have people teaching me how to treat kids right. That's me. It has nothing new in somebody teaching me how to do that. So like, you know, you have to do better as a coach. You have to do better as a parent and you need to start calling people out. I think I'm getting to the place or I am at the place that like talking about this, like, you know, telling the truth is going to affect your business is not good enough for me. Um, and I don't come from that place. I think uh, two years ago it affected my business for a week. And I've had no problem since. And now I only attract the kind of people who are on board with how I roll. Um, and that's it. And I think Rachel, and I don't mean to speak for you, goes through, you know, similar things. So it's yeah. time for more of us to start speaking. And I think we all need to do better. We got to pull up our big kid pants um, and go to therapy and get emotionally mature and help our kids um, and just do better. And yeah, like what you're just like the therapy part of it, it's, I just hope the larger systemic entities like U.S. Soccer, United Soccer Coaches, you know, you see the one-off coach mentor course or whatever. To me, it's not just about, they're, they're always um, offering education as it pertains to um, the kid. And that's important, but there also needs to be education of themselves as a human being, as a, for coaches. And then communication education. How do I speak to parents? How do I speak? What's of age appropriate to speak to children? Like that's got to be part of the education portion if we're going to get better and, and have higher levels of emotional intelligence and all of this. So that was my, I think question. I said on our, our last podcast that like our batting systems still have a lot to do. Like how good of a practice can you write out? We're mm -hmm. so far away from like effective coaching um, but I think things like that will actually make us effective coaches. And I totally agree with you. It's like, there needs to be a lot more education than like, can you write a good practice based on your topic? That is very 1994. Like we need to really progress past that. Well, and I'll, I'll, I'll say this, I'll leave us with, with this. Um, when I was playing pro, I got my USSF, I think F license, which is like the lowest. Um, and I took it online and it was while I was still playing pro and they talked about, um, mainly how to have fun, how to make everyone feel included, how to, how to speak kindly to the kids. And it, I had this sort of realization or this, you know, epiphany of this is what needs to be touched 
at the A licensing coaches. Like this is not just, this does not just pertain to five to eight year olds. Like this is the piece that we're missing. And so for me, I actually, I don't hold other than that license, which I don't know if it's even expired or not, but I don't hold any licenses. I, I go to therapy once a week. Um, I speak about how, you know, how I'm doing, what my triggers are. Um, I, you know, I, I had a kid that, you know, didn't respond well in this sense. What, you know, what could that mean? How could I be better? Um, and looking at a lot of my own trauma so that I don't put that on my players. And, you know, I, I get that there are parents out there that want to see, you know, you have these licenses and that makes you a good coach. Um, but for me, like, I don't, I don't care about the X's and the O's of the game, which is why I, I have not ever coached club. And, you know, I'm, I'd never say never, but, and probably will never coach club unless I start and run my own, because for me, it's, it's not about that. Um, and I wish that we could adopt a mentality like that instead of how good of a practice can I run? How many games can I win? Absolutely. I mean, I that's agree. a self-awareness piece a hundred percent. So I love talking to you guys about this. And I feel like we need to have a podcast about coach licenses next because Oh, yes. You go off on that, right? <laughs> I used to be a coaching instructor, and by coaching instructor, I never did it because I was like, absolutely not. I, you know, it's just, uh, I, it, it's just all. It's very much just like getting a degree. It's just like you know, you paid enough money, you did the work, you get the degree. It's got nothing to do with being effective or like a good coach. It's got nothing. Yeah, to do with I that. think that's got to be our next one. I, I have like, okay, if we could go into that <laughs> deeply. But cool. those of you listening, this right. one, if you're a parent, a coach, or a player listening to today's podcast, just know that, you know, all we understand that parents care deeply about their children, and we're not faulting you for that. It's a great thing that you love your kid, but it's really important to self-reflect on the best ways to support your kid within this messed up system. And there's not always going to be a perfect right way, but don't do what the rain is <laughs> And, um, you know, just really come back down to like, why, why is my kid playing? What, what can they enjoy the most? What, what do I hope for them to gain out of this at the end of the day? And hopefully you come to realization that their self-worth and, and having fun and enjoyment is part of that. We hope, um, because at the end of the day, we've all been in the position of, um, the collegiate or higher level. And it's, it's, it really comes down to those basics. Like you said, at the F license level, it, it is really about that. And so don't lose sight as a parent of that. Um, but thank you so much for listening today. I appreciate both of you, Meredith and Rachel, for coming on again. You guys are going to hear more of them because we, we can have some really good discussions on here. So I'm sure they'll be back soon. And hopefully we'll talk about coach licenses because I think that's the next one. But um, thank you so much for listening. Thank you both for being on. Thank, thank you. you so much for having us. And, you know, let us know what else you guys want us to talk openly and honestly about <laughs> yeah we want to hear from you guys what do you want to hear for sure all right well thank you guys and uh and we'll see you next time thank Sounds you good. thanks